Good morning, Resurrection Church. My name's Nathan Mayer. It's my privilege to bring the word this morning. I don't know how you learned to pray or where you learned to pray, but I learned to pray while I was living in a hippie commune at college. So um, I'm going to share a little bit about that. I did my first two years of school here at Bakersfield College, and toward the end of that time at BC, I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I was transferring to UC Davis. That was where I was planning to finish out my last two years of school. And so I go to UC Davis as this baby Christian, and um, I'm basically paying for school myself. And so I'm like, like low budget housing, like, let's see what I can find that's cheap or free. And obviously the dorms are ridiculously expensive, but right smack in the middle of campus are these three houses called a housing cooperative and rent is $450 a month with meals included. And uh, it's, but it's, it's basically a hippie commune right in the center of campus. And so I'm like, sign me up, man. So I moved in and it's the kind of place where like, uh, you have to watch out for which cookies you eat. You know, hopefully they labeled them properly, but you never know, right? And uh, while I was there, I got involved with this ministry called the Navigators. And the, all of the Christian parachurch ministries, because there are like a million college ministries at these big campuses, all those ministries got together. And we came up with a plan that we were going to pray for 40 days for UC Davis, 40 days, 24 hours a day. And so uh, everyone was really excited about it. We got the sign-up sheet together, and we had people in this little house just off campus every hour of the day for about two and a half days. And then we started getting these like giant gaps in the schedule. And I had a pretty light schedule, and I was good at school. So I was like, well, you know, I could sign up for a three-hour block to be in there praying. I could sign up for a four-hour block. There was even one time where I showed up at 2 a.m. to pray, and nobody had unlocked the house. And I'm a new believer, right? So I think this thing is really important that we're doing. And so I'm like, I, I just feel like I have this duty to stay out on the front porch freezing my butt off in winter and pray out there until the sun comes up, basically. And... Uh, it sounded really scary at first. Like, I signed up for this two-hour block, and I'm like, I think I've never even prayed for, like, 30 minutes before. What am I supposed to talk about for two hours? Like, how do you fill two hours up with anything if you're not watching a movie, you know? Um, but what I discovered was that once you get past the surface stuff, like your, your prayer list that you keep in your head, and you run out of things that you want to talk about, God starts putting things on your heart. God starts leading you in your prayer. And uh, I really found a lot of growth and uh, spiritual power during that time, where the crazy hippies I was living with, who had probably never heard the gospel before in their life, uh, started asking me, like, well, why do you believe what you believe? And tell me about, like, this controversial thing in the scriptures. Or, um, you know, tell me why uh, why you think that Jesus is really like the way. And so I got to share the gospel with all these crazy hippies who probably have never heard the gospel before and might never again. Um, I saw a lot of growth and transformation in my own life during that time. And I was only there for a quarter because God led me on a pretty crazy path for, for college. But I'm convinced the only reason I was there was so that I could learn to pray during the, that 40-day window of 
focused prayer. So today we're going to be talking about prayer and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter six, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, uh, as we talk about prayer today, I want you to remember three big ideas. We're going to be talking about three things. We're going to talk about the power of prayer, the practice of prayer, and the priority of prayer. The power of prayer, the practice of prayer, the priority of prayer. You know I'm a Baptist because it's three Ps, and we got alliteration going on. We're set. Um, so as we discuss the power of prayer, right, the Bible just makes some embarrassingly bold promises concerning the power of prayer. And I could spend hours probably explaining those things to you because there's so many in the scripture. But instead, I thought I would just share what the Bible has to say about it instead of trying to convince you myself. And you can just listen to what the word has to say concerning the power of prayer. So Mark eleven twenty four says, therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Matthew 21, 22 says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So these are some big promises, right? Like it almost sounds like a blank check, you know? Like if, as long as you're a Christian, basically whatever you want, it's yours. But we all know that it doesn't really work out that way, right? Um, prayer has to be the most confusing part of the Christian life because I have seen God do just crazy miracles all around me. I've seen him uh, answer prayers. I've seen him lead me. I've heard him speak to me. I've, um, he's, he's led me on these sometimes crazy winding rabbit trails that lead to beautiful ends I could have never imagined. And God does all of this through his grace and power miraculously working in and through my life. And then sometimes I've seen good prayer requests, good desires that go unanswered and unmet. Uh, I, I know brothers and sisters who have prayed and hoped and had faith, real faith, for a good outcome, and were only met with tragedy or brokenness or pain or doubt or confusion. I've seen uh, entire categories of prayer requests that seem to go unanswered. Like, I don't know if you've ever prayed for your vision to be healed if you wear glasses, but God doesn't seem to like answering that prayer very much. Or if you have ever prayed for an amputee to have their limb be healed, I have never seen things like that happen. I can't explain all of this. I wish I could. I wish I had a clean, uh, simple answer for you. But prayer is the most mystical and uh, <laughs> complicated, possibly, part of our walk where 
um, it gets right to the heart of God, right to the center of the will of God. And God's will, it's sometimes hard to know, it's hard to understand. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you is that if we pray the way that Jesus teaches us to, we will see God work miracles around us through our prayer life. God still hears you. God still answers prayers. God isn't just kicking back on a lazy boy today, waiting for the story to be over. He's not just expecting you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and do all of the work of the Christian life on your own. But God is your father, and he loves you. He loves you so much that you can't even fathom. Like, biblically, the answer to how much does God loves me, how much does God love me, is more than I can imagine. Paul encourages us to remember the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Like he literally wants us to understand something that cannot be understood. If God's love was an ocean, it would fill it up to the banks and overflow. If God's love was packaged, it would explode the bounds of the universe. God's love is infinite. It's deep and wide and great and powerful. And it's not just directed at the church in general, but it's individually directed at you. God's love for you is that great. It's that significant. It's that deep and wide. And so God doesn't just uh, want people to pray. He wants you to pray. God doesn't just want to answer the church's prayers. He wants to answer your prayers. And God fundamentally is not against you if you are a Christian, if you are saved, if you are found in Jesus Christ. God is fundamentally for you. He's on your side. He will help you fight your battles. He will walk with you through trials. And if you pray, he will work miracles all around you. But like we said, sometimes, sometimes our prayers don't work out the way that we expected them to. Um, and so while I can't, I can't give you a recipe, I can't give you a formula, I can't give you a checklist that is going to make your prayer life suddenly perfect where you get like, you know, 100 out of 100 prayer requests answered positively in the way that you hoped for, what I can do is share the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. And I can promise that when you do that, when you pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, that you will see God move, you will see God work, you will see God answer your prayers. Um, some of our brothers and sisters here, I, I asked for testimonies about the power of prayer. And uh, several brothers and sisters talked about how their personal lives were completely transformed through the prayers of another person, whether it was a spouse or a friend or a family member who prayed for them to be saved or to be transformed. God worked through those prayers to bring new life or salvation or awakening to that person. We had, I had one sister who talked about praying for her friends, uh, multiple people who couldn't um, have children who were struggling to conceive, and God miraculously healing and working to allow them to have children. I uh, heard stories about how God just moves when we pray, not even in external circumstances, but in our own hearts. How one brother who leads a prayer group, he told me about how he never knows a man's heart better than when that man prays. Because once you get past the surface stuff, once you get past the trivial stuff uh, and start praying as God is leading you to pray, the, 
um, the real heart, the real soul of that person comes out of them when they are speaking the words of God, praying for the things that God wants them to pray for. And so there's so much power that we have access to. I want to teach you to pray. And that sounds a little dramatic, right? Because most of you have prayed before, many, maybe many times. Um, but Jesus, he offers some counsel, some advice. And I want us to follow that advice. And the first, the first practice I want us to discuss, the first practice I want to cover is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. John 15, 1 through 8, tells us what it means to abide in Christ. He says, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So abiding in Christ is really, instead of finding our root, our heart, our affections, our identity, and the things of this world or in ourselves, it means instead finding our root, our life in Jesus Christ. Jesus, he, he calls himself this branch. And if you think about a vine, right? Um, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches of that vine. If the branch gets detached from the vine, it's only going to die. There's no life in it in itself. It has to draw its life from the vine, from the root. In the same way, you and I were never created to live this life on our own. Like, humanity was never designed to be this thing that was independent from God. We were always designed to have God's life flowing through us, to basically be these springs of the life of God. And so when we're not abiding in Christ, when we're not abiding in him, that life dries up and we become these withered shells of what we were meant to be. And um, he says, Jesus says that only in abiding in him can we hope to have our prayers answered. And um, that sounds a little harsh, right? Because ab abiding in Christ, the Christian life, it can feel like this big box of to-dos, like this big list of burdens and responsibilities that I have. But Christ, he's not fundamentally interested in just adding a bunch more to-dos to our to-do list. He wants us to throw away the to-do list and instead focus on nothing else until we are abiding and finding our life and root in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to just add one more set of ambitions to our career and our family and our hobbies and put this Christian box of ambitions over here. He wants us to throw it all out and have everything find its root in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, slowly over time, you and I, our desires will become like the desires of God. I'll want the things that God wants and love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. And so it, it'll actually change the way I pray. 
Because instead of praying for things that really weren't good for me in the first place, instead of praying for things that just lift me up or elevate me or are fundamentally selfish or uh, stupid, some of my prayers, (laughs) Um, instead, I'll be praying for the kinds of things that Jesus would have prayed as he walked this earth, praying for people to be saved, praying for people to be healed, praying for relationships to be restored or for... um, nations and powers to fall under the authority of Jesus Christ, praying for peace in the land and peace in my heart, for wisdom and new life. All of these things are prayers that God loves to answer, that God loves to um, give to you. But we have, to, we have to be abiding in Christ, to have that new mind, to have that new uh, set of desires so that we can pray in the way that God wants us to. And because if we're, not, if we're not, then God would be unkind. He would be cruel to us to give us what we asked for because it would just bring us further away from God. If, if I'm praying for a new job uh, that has more responsibilities and more money, but I'm not ready to truly surrender those things to Christ, then all that new job would get me is pull me further away from the Savior in whom I find my life. And so there's no benefit to me to have God answer that prayer. It's not good for me. God loves me too much to answer all of my prayers. God loves me too much to give me everything I want. So our first practice was abiding in Christ. Our second practice is asking in his will, asking in his will. There's a reason why you didn't win that $1.4 billion lottery this last month, right? Even though you asked really nicely for it, even though you were like, God, please, like, can that one be me, you know? Um, It's because God won't give you poison even if you ask nicely for it. God won't give you something that is going to rob your affection, rob your desires for him, and will instead place all of your affections in this world. God isn't going to give you poison because he loves you too much. My daughter is a good example of this. My daughter's three, and she often wants things that are outside of her father's will, right? Um, If my daughter had her way, we would have McDonald's at least four times a week, probably every night. Candy for breakfast, staying up late, skipping naps. But would I be a very good father if I gave all of those things to her? Sometimes she asks really nicely for them. You know, she can be very sweet when she wants something. Uh, but I love her too much to give her what she wants. James 4.3 says it this way, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God won't give you something that you're just going to use to destroy yourself. God won't give you something that you're going to use to make yourself more insulated from your need for him, from your dependence on him. God fundamentally wants you to Join him in building his kingdom. God wants you to draw nearer to him and for others around you to draw near to him as well. And so we have to pray according to his will. What that looks like sometimes can be complicated, right? Because like I said before, I'm guessing you've all prayed for something good, truly good, something that from your perspective would glorify God, would be good for the person you were asking for, would be um, encouraging to the church and all you got in response was no, or even maybe more tragedy heaped on to whatever, whatever uh, circumstance you were praying over. Sometimes God's will is complex. 
The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so sometimes the thing that I think, man, it checks all the boxes. This is glorifying to God. It builds his kingdom. It helps the person I'm praying for. It's not selfish. I don't get anything out of this. And God still says no. God doesn't answer. Um, Sometimes it's because God is writing a story that's more beautiful, but also more complicated than we're really capable of understanding. Sometimes God's best for you also involves suffering and trials and setbacks and burdens. For a lot of us, we are too rock-headed to be able to actually draw near to God unless we are going through the storm. And so for much of our lives, there will be times where we pray for things that we think are good and God does not answer. God does not respond the way that we hope he will. The good news for us is that that's, that's okay. It's okay to ask for things and have God say no. That doesn't mean you're unworthy. That doesn't mean that he doesn't like you. Like God loves those other people that he answers prayers for, but he doesn't love me because he didn't answer this prayer that was near to my heart. God is for you. God loves you. God is working on your behalf. But we don't always know what his will is. But we should pray anyway. God wants us to bring our anxieties to him, to bring our burdens and our joys and our hopes to him. And Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So basically, it's okay to test in a sense. Like, I would rather have you stand before God having prayed about too many things, like things that you shouldn't have actually asked for, than having prayed about too few things. Bring your requests to God and be willing to learn. Like when God says no, our first question shouldn't be, well, is he really there? Does he really love me? Our first question should be, why in this case is God's best plan not what I was hoping for, not what I desired, not what I was asking for? And we can learn a lot about the will of God, what pleases him, what is glorifying him through that. Um, many a missionary whose destiny was to be martyred uh, on the mission field probably asked and pleaded for, uh, for salvation, for, for redemption from that fate. But when God's glory is revealed in our suffering, oftentimes he asks us to go through hard things for the sake of his glory. So we have abiding in Christ and asking in his will. The third practice that I want us to learn about is praying in faith. Praying in faith. And this subject has been uh, kind of weaponized by entire branches of, Christian church, of the Christian church because uh, we use this uh, faith idea as sort of a, as a blank check, really, as a catch-all. Like, if you just have enough faith, God will basically give you whatever you want. If you just have enough faith, God will solve all your problems. He'll fix all of your issues. He'll make you uh, perfect. And you'll be able to live this simple, victorious life where nothing ever gets in your way ever again, right? Um, And if you're dealing with struggles or disease, cancer, afflictions, trials, setbacks, failures, well, you just didn't have enough faith or you doubted too much. And so we weaponize faith and then beat people over the head with it in their weakest moments rather than acknowledging that God doesn't always work the way that we expect him to. But 
Despite that caveat, faith might be the single most important part of your prayer life. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because whoever desires to uh, know God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is um, this, this power that is given to us by God. Faith is given to us by God. It's not actually something that I have to manufacture. I don't create faith. Like Faith isn't just like this Kool-Aid drinking, brainwashing of myself to never have any questions or doubts, to never wonder whether uh, certain things are true or false. Faith is really a gift from God that was given to me when I was saved. There's a measure of it given to each person. And that faith is actually produced, not by me, but by Christ in me, to believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do and is willing and able and desiring to work on my behalf. James 1, 5 through 6 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So if we ask in faith with no doubting, Jesus says that he will surely give us what we ask for. But what does it mean to pray in faith, right? That's pretty important. The first thing it means is to believe that God can accomplish what we're asking, right? So to believe that God can heal me, to believe that God can restore my marriage, to believe that God can make me whole or heal my past hurts or my addictions, to believe that God can save this person or draw this person close or make this wrong thing right. So I, I, I have no problem with this. Like I am a sovereignty of God guy. I believe that God is basically telling every electron in my body, which direction to spin in every moment of every day. Like God is literally speaking the universe into existence as we go through it. And I believe that God has written the end of the story from the beginning. Everything is in his power. So if God wanted to make me 100 feet tall, could he do it? Yeah. If God wanted to make me fabulously wealthy, could he do it? If God wanted to make me walk on air, could he do it? Yeah, he could do anything he wants. We have to believe that God can and has the power to answer our prayers. His arm is not shortened. He breathed the universe into existence. I promise you, he can fix your problem. He can help you. He can um, work on your behalf. The second thing about faith is that it believes that God desires to do so. And this is where things start to get trickier, right? Because we acknowledge that sometimes the will of God is hard to know. But faith believes that God desires to work on our behalf. And if you're like me, man, I feel so unworthy of that. I feel so unworthy of God ever doing anything for me. Like, why should you help me? I, all I ever did was make your life harder, basically. Um, but God is glorified in how he showers grace upon us, grace upon grace for us. God is glorified in how he comes to our aid, even for the problems that you and I have created, like even getting us out of our own stupid messes. God is still glorified in helping us to recover from our mistakes. We have to believe that God desires to work on our behalf, that God desires to answer our prayers. 
that your, your unworthiness doesn't actually change the love of God for you. Yes, you are unworthy. Yes, you don't deserve an iota of affection from God. But God has called you worthy because of Jesus Christ and the blood that covers you and the cross that stands still on that hill to this day because he loved you. You are not worthy, but God is for you and God's love for you is sufficient for you. Now, here's the hardest part about faith. Faith, I would argue, also believes that God will certainly answer our prayer. And this is like where you get to the brainwashy stuff, like the scary, like, I don't know if that's, that sounds kind of like word of faith or prosperity gospel stuff. Like, uh, I have no right to say that God will certainly answer my prayer. He's God. I'm just me. Um, but I will again quote to you from the Bible. If you, uh, yeah, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. Believe that you have already received it and it will be yours. This is what God desires from us. This unshakable confidence that not only does God want to help us, but that his favor for us is so sure that he's already done it for us. He's already accomplished it. It's already finished whatever thing we're praying for. Now, the the tough thing about this is it's going to lead to real disappointment. Because if you pray like this, and you really believe that God is surely going to do something, God is surely going to heal this person, when when they die, that's going to be hard. That's going to break your heart because you were invested in this person being healed. It'll uh, cause us to have real questions like, well, God, why didn't you work in this case, in this situation? But what I can promise you is that if you are the person who has that kind of faith, faith, You will have more disappointments, but you will also have more things to celebrate because God will answer prayers that you pray with faith like that. It won't always be God's will to heal. It won't always be God's will to restore or to make things new, to make wrong things right. But if you pray with faith like this, I promise you will see God work in new ways that you could have never dreamt of. God loves our faith. And I would rather have you stand before God on the judgment day having had too much faith, like having believed too much for some things that you really weren't supposed to have, than having uh, missed out on real God-given opportunities that he was just waiting in the wings to give to you, to, to set before you, to do around you, because you didn't have the faith to believe that God would do it on your behalf. So pray in faith, have bold faith, have confident faith, be assured that God is not only kind to you, that he doesn't only love you, but that God is waiting, eager to work on your behalf, to work alongside you, to restore relationships around you, to make things new around you. Faith also often means persevering in prayer, right? We've, we've all heard that there's these three answers you can get to a prayer request, yes, no, or wait. <laughs> and if you look at the scriptures, prayer oftentimes the first answer is wait. The first answer is keep praying, persevere. Jesus tells the story about a widow who, um, there was an unrighteous judge who wouldn't give her justice. And that lady just kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and bugging him until eventually he, even though he didn't fear God or man, gave her justice, did what she asked. 
And so how much more will God, when we persevere in prayer, be quick to come to our aid, be quick to hear us, be quick to answer? If your children are not believers, if your uh, family members or loved ones or friends are not believers and you've been praying for them, God might ask you to pray for decades even for that person's salvation. These stories are not always fast. They're not always um, like a quick one and done prayer. God often asks us to persevere in prayer. Faith means persevering, believing that. Even if God said no the first time, or we don't have an answer yet, I'm going to keep praying because my God is the kind of God who answers prayers like this. So we talked about abiding in Christ, asking in his will, praying in faith. And then finally, we need to pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. So how many of y'all are bad prayers? Like, you know, just self-acknowledge, I am not good at praying. Anybody, any, any hands? We have a few, a few bad prayers, right? Like in the prayer circle, we're going around and somebody basically gives the Shakespearean soliloquy about uh, the need for the church to be made new or redeemed or whatever. And you're just like, God, help my grandma to be healthy because she's sick. Amen. Uh, and maybe there's some ums, a lot of ums, or like, you know, way too many father gods in there. Like, some of us struggle to pray as we ought. Some of us struggle to pray as we ought. The good news is that the Bible actually says that's true for all of us. We all stink at praying. Yeah, like we're all bad at it. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is Paul talking. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the good news is you're terrible at praying, but you have the Holy Spirit in you to pray on your behalf. So even when you don't know what words to offer up, when you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit will show you, he'll, he'll lead you in what to pray for. And even when the words aren't coming, those desires of your heart, you know, the, those deep desires that you can't, even, you can't even put to words, the Spirit can pray for you with, without words, with groanings too deep for words, and God can still hear that and work on your behalf. And so the good news is we have some help in prayer. The, um, the power of praying in the Spirit is also that it's hard to know the specific will of God. Like, if you and I want God to work in a specific situation, sometimes it's difficult to know exactly how he wants to move here. Like if somebody's sick, does God really want to heal that person's sickness miraculously? Or does God want the doctors to do their job well and for um, basically the natural course of action to take place? Is God going to move miraculously to restore this marriage? We don't always know, but the Holy Spirit knows, Right? The Holy Spirit knows exactly what God's desired will is in every situation. And so when we do a good job of listening, when we chase that wild goose and really seek the, the will of the Spirit in our prayer life, man, we will end up praying for things that we don't even want. Like, we don't even want this to happen, but the Holy Spirit puts it on our hearts, and so we pray anyway. Um, 
And when we pray like that, man, if the Holy Spirit is really praying on your behalf, how confident can we be that God is going to answer that prayer? If, if the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for something, we can be so confident that God is going to work in that situation, work in that place. Because it's not fundamentally us who's asking for it. It's God in us. It's Christ in us who's praying. And so we have help when we pray. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us in the right way to pray. And even when we can't find the words, he's there communicating to God the desires of our heart. So none of this really matters (laughs) unless we actually pray, right? Like, All of y'all know what the promises of prayer are. All of you probably have heard how to pray before. None of it matters if you don't pray. Like, we're we're spiritually lazy here in America. I would say that we're very admirable in a dozen other ways, but gosh, we are spiritually lazy here in America. And so we're, we're missing out, really, on an opportunity to see God work, to see God move, because we aren't praying the way that we ought to. We aren't getting into the battle. We're not joining God in the fray. Guys, like I said, I have a high view of God's sovereignty. I have a high view that everything, from the smallest molecule to the greatest galaxy, is orchestrated by God's hand. And I can also tell you with certainty that when you and I stand before the maker in judgment, there will have been things that he wanted to do on your behalf, that he wanted to do around you, miracles that he wanted to work, that he could not because you did not ask in faith. Now, that's a hard tension to acknowledge, but God desires to work for you. He desires to work around you. Like, God, there, there are things in your life today where God is literally waiting in the wings, waiting for you to ask. Like it, it, it's almost like a father with a gift in his hand or something good in his hand, and is just waiting for you to ask for it, just waiting for you to be ready, just waiting for you to plead with him, just waiting for you to exercise that faith that he loves to give it to you. There's real restoration, real miracles, real power, real healing, all of these things that are waiting to be accessed but we can't be bothered to actually ask for them, to actually pray, to actually persevere in our prayers. Guys, if we want God to work, if we want God to move in our lives, or if we want God to move in our church, if we want God to work through our ministries, man, nothing else matters if we don't start with prayer. If we don't start by asking God to move, then all of our efforts, they're just wasted. They're in vain. We can have the best programs, the best processes, the best groups and policies and all these things. And if we're not praying for God's spirit to work, if we're not praying for God to do the the labor, if we're not praying for God's hand to move, then all we're ever going to be doing is spinning our wheels and, and killing time. But what I can also say is that if you and I pray, really pray, if we as a church really are on our knees in prayer for one another, for God's kingdom, for the glory of God to be revealed in our lives and in the lives of those around us, man, no program or process is going to matter either because God is going to be working all around us. When we as a church pray in faith, gosh, I don't even know. I'm a little scared to find out what would happen because God's hand 
would be all over this place. We would see miracles left and right, and there would be so many things to celebrate because, gosh, we love to see and celebrate and praise God for miracles, for his hand at work around us. So if you don't pray, God won't move. But if you do pray, if you really lean into prayer, man, you will see God work miracles you never could have imagined all around you. The other aspect to this, if we look back at our verse, is that um, the second sentence says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Part of prayer is that it helps us to stay alert, to be watchful. You see, I'm, I'm a big <laughs> end times guy. Not like Black Hawk helicopters, stuff like that, but more like, I think Jesus is coming soon. Like, I, I'm putting bets on like whether it's 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, or tomorrow. Like, any day now, I think Jesus could be returning. And as Mark and I joke about that, because uh, I think that Jesus could, com- could come back any day, and Mark agrees, but he's also like trying to put a timeline on it. People have been doing that for 2,000 years, and none of them have been right so far. So your odds aren't very good that you're going to be right either. But I'm telling you, man, like we got a decade. Like it's coming. It's coming. And when, um, as these times approach, as the world turns its back on Jesus, as the world turns away from the gospel and spiritual things, um, the, the temptation to abandon Jesus, to walk away from the church, to give up on spiritual things, it's only going to grow. Like, I, I would say that we're not that far from a society of being able to create this perfect little Eden, this exact copy of what it looked like to live in God's shalom, except without God. And so when the world can offer you health and wealth and safety and prosperity and fun and entertainment, but Jesus isn't there, Jesus isn't the heart of it. Jesus isn't the source of it. We've basically created a really comfortable hell, but it's going to be hard to say no to because it's going to sound real nice to not have to worry anymore, to not have to struggle anymore, to not have to fight anymore. And so as these times approach, as the world rejects Jesus, it's just going to keep getting harder, guys, to uh, cling to Jesus, to cling to one another But when we are people who are on our knees praying, when we are people who are praying for one another, praying for God's kingdom to go out, and when we are people who are seeing the miracles of God around us, it'll give us strength to persevere. It'll give us strength to stand against the temptation to love the world instead of the new world that Jesus is making for us. It'll help us to endure and persevere. And as we pray for one another, we should pray that they will run the race well, that they would persevere to then. People are walking away from the church, left and right. And it's not because the church has changed, but the world has changed around it. We have to pray, guys. Pray that we would persevere. Pray that we would stand firm until the day comes where Jesus returned. And so, really, none of this this matters uh, I, don't, I don't want you to get in the way of praying because you feel like you have to do this a certain way. Like, you, if you don't know how to pray today, my advice for you isn't to go grab my sermon notes and make sure you're praying and checking all the boxes that I mentioned about how to practice prayer effectively. Just pray. Like, this is like Nike. Just do it. I'm going to be Shia LaBeouf and just say, like, 
Don't let your dreams be dreams. Just, just do it. Just do it. The hardest part about praying is just doing it. Like, especially as a husband and a dad, like, man, I had a lot more time before I had kids. It's hard to make time for this. It's hard to get in the battle. But prayer is like the Abrams tank of the Christian, right? Like, you've got this full cannon, like, bazooka thing. And so many of us are driving around in the Christian life, and when we see a, a trial or a challenge or a difficulty, we pop out of the top of the tank and shoot a, little, shoot a little pistol at it, hoping that solves the problem. But you've got the bazooka thing, like use the turret, use the guns. You're in the tank, use it. You have this miraculous power that's available to you. This God who breathed out the stars wants to answer your prayers, wants to work with you, to redeem the world around you. You have so much grace poured out for you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just access it. Just lean on it. Stand on it. Use it. It would be so much better to have lived a life of excessive prayer than insufficient prayer. Let's be people who pray. If you get nothing out of this, nothing, except that you go home and you pray 20 minutes more than you would have otherwise, that's a win. That's all I want. Just do it. Just do it. So as we close, as we close, we're going to practice a little bit. And we're going to pray for a little longer than we normally do. It's not actually a long time. It's like a long time for our modern ADD, uh, but, but not a long time for you know, actually praying. So we'll pray for like five minutes for the church, for God to move in our midst, for God to teach us to pray. And if you have a burden or a hope or a dream or something that God has put on your heart, it's okay to just pray quietly for that in your pew or to, to come up and, and pray with somebody about that thing. But we're going to pray together now. Please join me. Father, Thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you love us personally and corporately, that your love for us is an ocean. It is, is more than the universe can contain, that it showers and, and pours over and overflows. Thank you that you are for us, that you're not against us, that you fundamentally desire our highest good, the best possible good for us. And thank you for prayer that even though we are unworthy, even though we don't deserve to be a part of this story, you ask us to join you in building your kingdom and in moving your hand and directing your miraculous intervention in this world through our faith, through our prayer. God, we pray that we would become a people of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to abide in Christ so that our, our minds and our hearts could be renewed so that we can want the things that you want, that we can love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. God, my heart is often so far from yours. My, my eyes are often so blind. Would you help me to abide? in Christ, to draw near to him, to cling to him like he's the only life, because he is. God, would you teach us to pray according to your will? 
Teach us to stand on your promises that you make in the scripture. To pray and pray with faith, to pray boldly, with confidence, knowing that you want to work on our behalf, that you already have gifts, good gifts for us, for the church, that you're waiting to grant to us, waiting to give to us, if you would just ask for them, if we would just reach out and take them. And God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that is even at work in us right now, praying for us, for those around us right now, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank you that even though we don't know how to pray as we ought, he teaches us to pray. God, I pray for this church. I pray that you would build us up as a body in love for one another, that you would make something beautiful here. God, not just a a good church by American standards, not just a healthy church by uh, the standards of our modern society, but something truly beautiful, something that inspires, something that others look at, the world looks at, and cannot deny that you really are here among us. God, I pray for our elders and our pastors. I pray that you would encourage them and give them strength to persevere to run this race when the world would love to see them fall off their course, to abandon the race, to walk away. I pray that you would give them strength to persevere and help us as the church to encourage them, to love them, to lift them up, and to work alongside them, laboring in the same field because we're all brothers. And God, I pray for our community. I pray for those who are near this church but far from you, I pray that you would help us to connect with them, to reach out, to um, have you work in crazy ways in their life to bring them in, to draw them near, God. We know you can. Most of us, we were far from you, but you brought us near, Lord. Would you do the same for our community? Would you do the same for our families and our friends, for our, our work coworkers? God, would you move in a way that brings salvation to many? And God, finally, I pray that today and this week, you would help us to to pray as we ought, to just make time, to make space, to pray for our own transformation, for your kingdom to go forth, for the building up of the church and for the return of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people who pray. Help us to get in the game. We love you so much. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for prayer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.